Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. I am back from the United States, uh, Texas, and New York City. Those places are uh, their own thing, I would say. Now, I've seen five different states, and I would like to make an episode about how each of you guys listening in the United States view patriotism in your own country. But we have a lot of Russian news to catch up on. Latest episode was on the Estonia ferry, and this is going to be a bit of a political one because we have some really crazy news to discuss. Uh, I'm gonna make one kind of like an outside perspective look on the United States politics and how I think you you yourselves. But that's gonna wait a bit because I want to finally record my Stalin thing, which is gonna go down next week as I finally moved for the final time. I hope so at least. And uh, yeah, I tend to post a bit controversial stuff on Facebook and Twitter to cause discussion because I think that only in proper debates and questioning the status quo, we can actually change anything. But uh, I understood that, for example, in the case of Latvia, if we would uh, apply the fact that everyone who pays taxes should vote, like if we would put a tax census on our voters and basically tie voting to taxes, that would allow about 200,000 people to vote in Latvia who are currently non-citizens, and if you want to check that out, they have previous episodes on that, and I think that would be a good idea. Well, that was compared to the poll tax, which would decrease the amount of people voting in the United States, and even though I kind of think that not everyone should vote, probably, it still is a right, so it's a complex issue. So if I'm going to be tagging uh, with an outside perspective the United States policies and, and what's going on there, how I view it, that I think I should be more prepared than being massively jet-lagging while being back home. But, you know, I have to do this, because people asked me to do that. I just think that I probably need more tact and subtlety to this subject so that no one gets offended and doesn't, doesn't misunderstand me or think that I'm insulting someone or being aggressive. But this time, this time we're kind of back to Russian news because, oh boy, while I was away for three weeks, a lot of things have happened. For one, we have insanity to the nth degree that is quite hard to comprehend even. You see, a member of the Russian Civic Chamber, it's an advisory institution, a consultative one, but it's a very influential one in Russia, Pavel Pozhigailo, 
from this institution that advises the Russian president, basically stated that um, in an interview to the TV channel Tsargrad, which I watch, which is one of those very weird opposition channels in Russia, which never criticized Putin itself, just uh, they bash at the government. He basically stated that, and I quote here, <clears throat> all theaters in Russia should be uh, closed down because that presents an alternative to going to mass and mocks it. Therefore, it destroys the culture. In the place of this, we should instate the kind of peasant liturgical choirs in every village. Oh, and also we would need to prohibit the teaching of English in public schools whatsoever, because why would a person in Russia need English? Because if you teach someone the English language from the first grade, then you destroy their Russianness, and then you open their mind to various frivolous and harmful ideas. Again, this is not some random uh, out-of-the-blue-nowhere dude. It's a guy who honestly stated that, yes, he wants to close down all of the theaters, close down also the Ministry of Culture, and wants to prohibit English. Now, that's a bit scary. But if you think about it, it's kind of a natural extension of the general policy. Now, uh, like I again posted on Facebook, I sort of agree with the closing of Ministry of Culture part because, you know what, it started out as a Soviet joke, and now when I heard this in the news, I needed to mention this because, well, during Soviet era there was a political anecdote which went like this. Czechoslovakia is asking Moscow if they can have a maritime ministry. Moscow confusingly answers them, but guys, you're a landlocked country, why would you need a maritime ministry? Well, Czechoslovakian people answer, well, but you guys have a ministry of culture now, don't you? And that's the point, this whole idea that, that how can you go to this other idiocy and start having people in places of power that just openly state that culture should be eliminated. I mean, there's a saying in Russian, marazm uh, kripchat, or the marazm, or idiocy. Basically. It's kind of like plot thickens just with dumbness. And then you think about this, and then you understand that it's kind of fitting, actually. It kind of fits in if you have people in power who rather do that. It's not even that surprising at this point. I mean, it looks so sensationalist, but he's just stating what's happening openly lately, which feels bad because, hey, also recently a person who's a Ukrainian journalist from Radio Free Europe got sentenced to 50 years in prison in Donbass, where I went to, and that is why I went undercover, because he was charged with, uh, with spying accusations. Yeah, and, uh, well, he wasn't as lucky as I was, and apparently got a real prison sentence, and I doubt that anything Ukrainian authorities will do will get him out of prison. This is just the most shocking of the news. I have four news that also tie together, with Russia that have happened lately while I was away in the United States, and uh, let's talk about them and make some meaning out of all of this situation, because the more you think about what's happening, the crazier it tends to get. So I'll start with the first, first news that I have come up with. And remember, this is all in the background, because I wanted to make that first thing about, you know, closing down all the theaters and closing down the Ministry of Culture in Russia, to put everything else in context and to show you why, um, as sensationalist as it is, it is just a mere extension of the natural things that have been happening in Russia lately. So the first thing is that uh, Russia's education ministry has released methodological guidelines for school teachers to use on the November the 10th, the 100th anniversary of Mikhail Halashnikov's birthday. The guidelines call for a nationwide lesson on the inventor of the AK-47 assault rifle, 
even though technically he was just overseeing a bunch of German POWs and the Kalashnikov is basically a remake of a Nazi assault rifle whose secrets were plied out of those German guys just the same as basically American space program relies on von Braun's plans and he was amnesty even though he was a war criminal and everyone just forgot that he was a Nazi and that, you know, all the American space program lies on a Nazi. Same thing happened in Russia, except with, you know, these guns. But people tend to forget that von Braun was, uh, you literally had to have uh, rockets engineered by Nazis and built by Nazis to people amnesty. But again, that's not the nice history, but I've gone to that point in Stalin's series, so but just a bit later about that one on another episode. But for now, basically, the Ministry of Education of Russia is arguing that such a class will foster patriotism, help schoolchildren form a Russian identity, allow them to understand the value of defending their fatherland, and facilitate interest in military service down the line. The Ministry's guidelines included several potential formats for the recommended anniversary lessons. They ranged from simply reading Kalashnikov's writings and interviews in humanities classes, to comparing his rifles with American M16s, to assembling and disassembling AK-47s and AK-74s, should those weapons be available. The lesson guidelines for high schoolers in their final two years also call for a discussion of Kalashnikov's 2012 letter to Patriarch Kirill, in which the engineer expressed regret for the deaths his inventions had caused. Yeah, we have everything here. It is just beautiful. I mean, uh, we're back to the nice little times where you could just, you know, tell school kids how to assemble, disassemble guns. And this is another cultural thing, because I've been arguing with, with American people online about various values. But for us here, like, in Latvia, we recently had a law get in power that basically states that if you go hunting with some of your relatives, then you are allowed to fire a gun if you're 16. We don't have any here, son, have a gun for your 12th birthday and go on shooting range with us. For us, having a gun and holding one and knowing how what to do with it is taken extremely seriously. We don't have the gun culture of the United States of America, which, well, some would argue it fosters their freedoms, well, your freedoms if you're from there, but in our case, we would disagree and state that it fosters urges of aggression. Anyway, for kids to be handling guns, clearly not a kind of a common way how people deal with these issues. So that's a big thing. If you combine these two things again, well, pure more Russianism is needed. Therefore, well, prohibit all theaters, don't teach kids English, instead tell them how to assemble and disassemble Kalashnikovs. That sounds like a brilliant idea that cannot possibly go wrong. And this is tied to the fact that, well, we all heard about the Steinmet plan, and there was a big fuss about it, but I did not make an episode on this subject, instead I chose to make one about the Estonia ferry. This ties together because everyone made a huge fuss when Zelensky spoke about it, when he was kind of like agreeing to this plan, but then it went silent. Nothing has happened in practical terms, because even though uh, Steinmeier's plan called for elections in Donbass, and then having a special status in Donbass, and then the return of the control, and then kind of federalization of those regions, giving them some autonomy, yeah, the idea of when to do the elections differs a lot. So basically Russia and the separatists want the elections to happen now, and then they might give some concessions to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Ukraine wants, well, basically free elections according to Ukrainian law, uh, so that, you know, you wouldn't have tanks aiming at people who go voting, and then they uh, will give them the special status. 
So everyone made a huge fuss about Stahlmeier plans, and I was sent a ton of messages asking me why I'm not covering this, but I kind of felt like it wasn't the place to do so, and again, if you remember the story with the guy who was approximately assassinated and turned out to be a special operation, I kind of felt like this Stahlmeier plan thing was basically Zelensky's response to get something positive in the news, just to counteract with the idea that he got messed up with. Trump's yet another scandal or whatever doesn't even matter at this point because Zelensky got into trouble with his own country had to do something but as we have seen so far even though it made news with a plan even though nobody actually knows in what order the plan should be applicable that's not gonna happen but when those people go home from Donbas those guys also know how to use Kalashnikovs just like Russian kids will do those guys have like seen death and killing is nothing for them those guys have been through a war and think about this for a second. Soviet Union collapsed in 1981, formally, right? Afghanistan war ended in 1989, which was considered the most pointless war in all of Soviet existence. And the crazy 90s were also a result of armed gangs, thugs, mostly ex-soldiers. Because what do you do if your government does not recognize you? They do not recognize your service, they do not even admit that you were there, they don't pay you enough salary, and the only job that you've known for years is killing other people. You basically joined the crime groups, so that is one of the reasons why Russia is so slowly pulling all this out, even though Donbass is a huge waste of money for them, is basically a black hole of money. Because after the war ends, what will the people who only have known war will do? They'll go back and probably join some armed gangs or something, just like in the 90s. Massive spike of violent crime shall happen. That is the only logical conclusion, because, you know, if you can't find a job due to a massive economical crisis, and all you do know is how to have a Kalashnikov in your hands and use it to shoot other people, well, what else is going to happen? And the same is going to go for Ukraine. Ukraine's going to have to figure out what to do, because Ukrainian military was basically non-existent before 2014, and they basically built it from scratch. But those people also go home. And even though some of them, you know, they're idealized and... Some people say have like all these patriotic ideals. There's still people who have grown accustomed to killing with guns in their hands. There's going to be a huge number of them and there are not probably going to be enough work for them to do in the civilian society. So that's going to be a major issue. And there's going to be an issue both on the Ukrainian and the Russian side. But if you add to this the fact that in Russia everything is militarized and they want to, as the general mood goes, close down the traditional valves of, you know, letting pressure go and everything. There could be some problems stemming from this fact. Because violence, violence tends to spread out evenly and uh, sometimes in very weird ways. Uh, talking about violence, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to turn to next, sadly again. And here we come to the curious case of a person who was dragged into a forest and beaten by Russian federal agents. See, on October the 15th, Ivan Lubishin was dragged into a forest and beaten mercilessly. He is a 36-year-old man from Kaluga, and he was accused of justifying terrorism in comments published on the, the Russian social network Vkontakte. A court later placed the suspect under house arrest for at least the next two months. This isn't the first time that he's faced prosecution for... Ah, uh, yes, then we get to the issue. Things he has written online. Again, we mix violence with earlier posts, everything goes together. In 2017, he was charged with distributing pornography and extremism and rehabilitating Nazism, but he got off with a few fines. Lubishin's father told Medusa, from which I'm taking this news, because Medusa is the most credible thing, they're also my buddies and my colleagues, and I fully suggest that you go 
and check those guys out. I think they have at least some podcasts in English as well, and their new site is also in English. Check out Medusa.io, they're my buddies. Basically, Nubishin's father told the guys to interview him that his son wasn't so lucky this month, uh, when FSB agents dragged him into the woods and beat him. Afterwards, forensic experts concluded that the attack caused no real harm, even though there's a photography of him available on the internet where he poses with basically like a massive pan-sized ginormous purple bruise on his back. Totally. He was previously fined 200,000 rubles, about $3,100, for a post in Kontakte. And when he went job hunting after that, he was arrested and placed under house arrest in the new investigation. He was arrested around 7 in the morning on October 15. His father says his son was on his way to apply for a job. Until 2017, he worked as a sales manager at Kaluga's first city law office, but he was fired after police charged him with three counts of illegal online behavior. The first case concerned two videos he shared on Kontakte that allegedly contained extremism. One video, titled Pobytobyshye, which roughly translates to Victory Frenzy, was about the German Soviet military parade in Brest-Litovsk in 1939. The equivalence between the USSR and the Nazis, because they were allies at the time, war crimes committed by the Soviet soldiers and mistakes by their commanders. The second video was a clip from the Polish project Right Wing, which featured the song, instead of leaves, about communists someday, quote, hanging on trees instead of leaves. Lubishin says he was accused of rehabilitating Nazism for sharing several incriminating pictures, such as an image showing a soldier wearing a helmet bearing the SS emblem with the caption, soldiers carrying Russia's freedom, which would be actually historically accurate at the time, because, like I said, they were allies, and if you want to check out more on that, we have an episode on the 38th Congress of the Party, and that's pretty good. It's a depressive episode, though. Just saying. And finally, Dubishin was charged with distributing pornography because of the videos. Quote, Benny Benassi, Satisfaction, and Female Erotic Massage, which were shared on the page on Vkontakte under user Janis Kashirsky, registered using Lubinsky's phone number. Lubishin insists that he never posted the videos, and he says he doesn't even have access to the account, which belongs to his, well, late cousin. In 2017, police dropped the pornography charges, and Lubishin was fined 400,000 rubles, which is about $6,000, for the supposedly extremist and pro-Nazi posts. Again, pro-Nazi. Yeah, just stating that they were allied is enough to be pro-Nazi. Two years later, after Russia decriminalized first offense violations of criminal code article 292, the extremism conviction was overturned, leaving Lubishin with a 200,000 ruble fine. But Viktor Lubishin says his son can't afford even this reduced penalty. In the summer of 2019, Russia's Federal Financial Monitoring Service added Ivan Lubishin to its list of terrorists and extremists, making it nearly impossible for him to find work. On October 28th, the Kalug Regional Court commuted Lubishin's sentence to garnished wages and a year's community service. When he finds a job, he'll have to give back 20% of his income, says his father. Ivan clearly won't be working for the next two months, now that a court has placed him under house arrest and forbidding him from using the internet and telephone. He is only permitted to communicate with his parents. Victor says his son has also started worrying about his safety, quote, always deadbolting all the doors. Ivan Lubishin now faces a fourth set of charges because of posts on social media. After the FSB arrested him, agents took him to the forest and beat him. The day he was arrested, he left the house and walked maybe 20 meters to the bus stop where an unmarked van pulled over and asked him something like, what address is this? He raised his head and that's when they punched him in the face. He thought it was some kind of robbery and they'd mixed him up with someone else. They knocked Ivan to the ground, beat him, and then loaded him into the van. When they pinned him to the ground like a pig, he realized that there had been no mistake and they had come for him after all. 
They took Ivan to the edge of the woods, where masked FSB officers continued to beat him and shock him with a taser, says his father. They didn't just beat him, they taunted him, saying that we will bury you. So they threatened him with murder and execution. In the end, they took turns stomping on one of his ears. Dubishin wasn't formally charged until the afternoon when the officers finally delivered him to state investigators. The new case revolves around two comments he posted about a bombing at the FSB's branch office in Arkhangelsk. Well, Yubishin called the, well, previously mentioned 17-year-old bomber a hero and the man of the week, at least. The bomber, basically what happened is that 17-year-old guy called uh, all of this Russian government a fascist government and went and literally committed a suicide bombing in the building. He declared that he sees no point in living in such a state and exploded. I don't really haven't heard any news, any facts about people dying there, but people have been arrested and stay uh, for just mentioning online that, yeah, maybe, you know, because he posted his pre-suicide, pre-explosion letter online stating that maybe something is wrong with the Russian state. That alone can lead you to prison together with journalists. According to officials, Gubishin's online comments were intended to, quote, create the conditions to undermine the public order and, quote, change the public's worldview regarding terrorist acts that had been committed. Victor, his dad, says these new charges are no coincidence. Quote, maybe they decided to grab him because he wriggled free the first time thanks to the statute's decriminalization. Lubishin also points out that his son deleted the post in question before the latest case was even opened. A medical examiner identified multiple bruises on Lubishin's body, but she recorded injuries as unharmful. Lubishin's father says some of the bruises were more than six inches wide. So this is, uh, just crazy. Lubishin was diagnosed with multiple bruising. Around his ears, wrists, right elbow, left shoulder, chest, ribcage, lower back, right chin. According to the report, none of the bruises was wider than about 2.4 inches. Chief examiner Zonetta Archipova Zinatulina concluded that the damage was caused by blunt force trauma, but there was no trouble to Dubushin's health. Yeah, this is crazy. His dad says he has concerns about an examination, obviously. On October 17th, when Ivan was returned home, he measured his son's bruises himself and also photographed injuries. Some of the bruises were more than 6 inches wide, more than twice as big as the doctor stated in her review. Dubushin's lawyer, Igor Titov, has filed complaints with the district attorney's office, the regional investigative committee, and local human rights commissioner, Yuri Zelnikov. Obviously, no one expects justice, however. His father says, quote, They beat him up so good that he's still jumping at his own shadow. He's always nervous and tense. I do not know why it is necessary to go someone after like this. Because of some internet posts. See, when you post stuff on the internet, well, we may disagree about some stuff, and I, like I said at the beginning, most post controversial stuff, but when this happens together with violence, which is encouraged, not taught about, discouraging culture, encouraging violence, and making sure that the authorities go after people for internet posts. That is where, I think, the trouble lies. But even this, even this isn't kind of the scariest news around these parts. The posts on the internet are still a big issue when it comes to Russian news. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. 
Enjoy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Because you see, posting stuff online, well, this is why you should be more tolerant when people post things that you uh, don't agree with online, including myself, by the way. Because that can get you into real trouble sometimes. See, on October 21st, a journalist and a political scientist, Fyodor Krasinnikov, found out that he was facing administrative charges for insulting the government. For what appears to be the first time in the history of Russia's 2019 law against offensive anti-government statements published online, the charges against Krasinnikov stemmed from a post on the social site Telegram. By the way, Telegram is, again, officially banned in the Russian Federation, but it's widely used nonetheless. And, like, this thing is banned in Russia, yet the government charges you with stuff you post there, which means the government itself uses the thing that they have banned, because, you know, if the government bans something, they shouldn't be using it. But they are, and if you post something on there, which they don't like, then they will... Sue you, it's kind of crazy when the cops are using the same thing that they prohibited to do things. It's just ridiculous. And also, the, the kind of idea, if, like, if your country has laws that says that you can't be, like, offensive to your government, then probably, you know, you should be worried, because, hey, pro tip for governments out there, how about you just uh, don't provoke people and you act in a good way and make sure your, you know, your citizens do not want to post terrible things about you? Because if they want to post those things, and they will that something's really wrong. See, um, th in this case, in the offending post, Krasinikov used profanity to express his frustration with the fact that opposition activist Leonid Volkov had been ordered to continue awaiting trial in jail. Volkov is a former campaign manager for leading opposition politician Alexei Navalny and an old family friend of Krasinikov's. When the journalist posted the link to an article about his friend's renewed detention, he added the phrase, these Putinist judges are such whores. And, uh, yeah, he was charged after a complaint about his post was submitted to local authorities. The complaint was written by one Salavat Furovich Kaziyev, whom Krasinikov and his attorney believe is a tire shop owner with no obvious political affiliation. By the time the journalist arrived at the Yekaterinburg police station to examine the evidence against him, he found that the prosecution's case was already complete with an expert opinion composed by a Federal Security Service employee. That expert concluded that Krasinikov's use of the word whore expressed the argument that judges are bought and sold, while the word Putinist expanded that claim to every judge in Russia. 
Reshenikov said he disagreed on both counts, arguing that he meant horse as a generalized response to behavior which he disapproved of, and Putinist as a label for judges who write rulings only to satisfy their superiors. Quote, the main thing I have to say about the expert investigation that was conducted is that they didn't consider the context at all. They took a specific comment on a specific news item that has a specific personal significance for me, and now they are pretending that I just went out there for no reason and yelled some profanity about the entire judicial system. I don't agree with that in the least, because I believe that this was a specific comment on a specific news item, and I am not ashamed of it. End quote. The journalist added that he suspected the new charges against him to be part of a pattern of harassment he has encountered since he began writing for local Yekaterinburg area news outlets in the late 1990s. More recently, that harassment has expanded into threats of prosecution. And Kreshenikov stated that he sees the action against his telegram post as a move to follow up those threats for the first time. The journalist added that he was also recently targeted in the way of searches related to Navalny's anti-corruption foundation, despite having only a distant connection to the group. Like I told you, like, literally, people went through all of those guys. But Navalny himself isn't blameless, and uh, at some point in, in, in the future I will expand on this, because even though Navalny seems like he's a good opposition member, his hands are also dirty. Just like in The Expanse, he's, he's more like the OPA, instead of being a through Liberator or something. Basically, Garsenikov indicated that his ex-wife took a job in the FBI after the pair was already divorced. He argued that the police have seen him as a troublesome figure for so long that they included him in their searches anyway. So yeah, you know, you can get into trouble for literally anything. And that's again journalism, because journalists can be blamed for anything. And um, journalists are blamed for everything, and sometimes they post like weird stuff. Such as, well, another, and this is going to be my final piece of news things which concerns me in particular, it turns out that uh, Russia is now worried, after all of these news, that people just post um, bad news about Russia. Not like they deserve it, but uh, they are now complaining that people in the West are being too negative on them. Hmm. Gee, I seriously wonder why. Not like we don't have our own problems, I mean, here in... Latvia, particularly, we have a lot of problems with our own government, but uh, we're not putting people into prison or fining them for Facebook posts, you know. And so the last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, the headline states, Bullshitting Russia. Well, uh, apparently, a new Russian government media report says that uh, about half of Western reporting about Russia is quote-unquote negative. I don't know, I think I would put myself in the thing, but it turns out that a single tabloid journalist writes a lot of it. According to a report by the news agency Russia Today, which is not RT, by the way, it's Russia Сегодня, almost half of the articles in the foreign press about Russia are negative. This new study leans heavily on British media, which makes up more than a third of the entire sample. They probably like didn't even include my show in this, but who cares? And apparently where nearly 40% of the selected coverage is negative. Apparently, the thing is that most of the articles Rossi Sivodnya examined in the British press share the same author, a man who's worked in Russia since 1992 and simply rewrites blurbs he finds in Russian tabloids selected for him by Russian staff working at his news agency. On October the 14th, the international news agency Rossi Sivodnya released a study titled Octopus One devoted to how the foreign press covers Russia. Now, according to the authors, the research project's name reflects how the country is depicted abroad. Quote, and nothing has changed in 150 years. End quote. 
The report was unveiled by communications director Pyotr Lidov, who came to Russia сегодня from the telecommunications company Megaphone, which he left amidst the scandal after tweeting about juvenile degenerates at Moscow's opposition protests. Together with Alexei Duborovsky, the editor-in-chief of Inosmi.ru, which translates foreign language news stories, Lidov told an audience of journalists how a team of Russia Shevodnya experts analyzed roughly 80,000 articles published in the first half of 2019 by outlets in G7 countries and coded them as either negative, neutral, or positive. Negative content, Lidov explained, is coverage where, quote, the role, actions, policies, or something else related to the article and to Russia is absolutely and ambiguously assessed negatively. End quote. Basically, the British press got far and away the most scrutiny. The news agency looked at more than 25,000 articles from the UK. Lidov attributed the simpleness to the relatively large number of media outlets in Britain, which is home to many tabloids. And many, many, many Russian oligarchs, because a lot of Russians live in the UK. By the way, interestingly enough, tabloids, and not just the British variety, play an important role in this story. But uh, it's a crazy thing. Almost 40% of this British content, according to Lidov's study, was so-called negative. Russia Shevodnya says that the three worst offenders in the UK include the competing tabloids the Daily Mail and the Daily Express, two outlets that are both among the country's top 10 most secret papers. The former is in the third place with 1.3 million copies sold a day, and the latter is in the ninth place with about 300,000 copies sold every day. These publications are the tabloids like the Daily Mirror and the Sun, which, by the way, Russia Shevodnya also codes in the top 10 of its study of negative Russia reporting, Publish articles on a daily basis that cast Russia in either a negative or at best exotic light. Mm, I would like to see a report on my show because I know those guys are listening. And uh, hello, people in Petersburg. I hope your work is fine. Uh, I hope your salary has been uh, adjusted to inflation. Last time we spoke and you wrote messages to me, it was 700 euros a month, which is a lot. I hope it's like 800 euros right now. But, you know, wouldn't be surprised if it wouldn't be so. And, uh, yeah, here are just a few choice examples from just the past few months. From the news about Russia, what people wrote about this. Quote, Jealous woman killed her younger model sister, 17, gouged her eyes, hacked off her tears, and stabbed her 189 times in a frenzied attack in Russia. That's from the Daily Mail, September 25th. UFO alert, as Putin drafts an army after Siberian mountain collapses. The Daily Express, January 25th. Mother, 29. Stabs her two-year-old son to death after he pleaded with her to stop partying as she boos with a group of men in Moscow. The Daily Mail, August 20th. Blonde Bob Shell, who is top Vladimir Putin guard, wins Russian army beauty contest. By the way, that's true. The Daily Mirror, April 27th. No clue. Bangling dentist screamed at nurse to Google it as teen patient lay dying after being given the wrong injection. The Sun, October the 10th. Citing this report, members of Russia's civic chamber, the same guys who just called for closure of all theaters, closure of the Ministry of Culture, and, you know, all the good stuff that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode. The same people, the Civic Chamber. This is what brings everything together, because, you know, as you might have noticed, I like to bring everything together and tie it with a nice knot and have a whole meaning of this. Russia's Civic Chamber, the guys who are influential and are doing all these terrible things, the same people have advocated, quote, a broad public discussion about the rights of foreign news outlets and foreign journalists working in Russia. End quote. And foreign ministry spokesman Maria Zaharova also quoted Russia Shevodnya's research in a daily briefing with reporters singling out Britain's exposed letters in 
quote, negative, end quote, reporting about Russia, the Times and the Daily Express. Yes. I mean, um, when it comes to this, can you even argue? What can you do? I mean, I would love to give you some positive news about Russia. I would love to say that, hey, they're fixing stuff and things are improving. But I'm into this thing, and when Russia's civic chamber says that, oh no, the vile vests are trying to make sure that we are oppressed as a nation, and then they're at the same time trying to close all the theaters and make sure that people don't learn English. Yeah, that's a lot to think about. I guess that about concludes today's episode, but, um, difficult to say what's gonna happen next. Russia is an interesting place, and, well, being away from all these news for almost a month just felt weird. And yeah, we're gonna have a deal with TeePublic to sell our t-shirts. We have uh, Eastern Border branded Soviet soap, by the way. We basically, the old packaging got loose and then we um, repackaged it. That's coming up and we're gonna send that away. Lots of things are happening. What I want you to take away home from this, if you're listening to this on your road or whatever, is that don't judge people by what they post on Facebook or social media just because you might disagree with them. You might disagree with a lot of people. However, not always they're evil, they just might be there to confront your ideas and to pull you out of the bubble. And that weirder things are happening elsewhere. Like I again posted some time ago, when the Florida demand finally meets only in Russia guy, the world will truly end. Anyhow, this was the episode about Russian news and what about to end this. So, um, thank you for listening, see you next time, and... Yes, yes, the silent episode is coming, I know. I know, it's been on my mind for months now, but I now feel kind of like Dan Carlin does, because, oh boy, I need to do a lot of work on that one to make it sure it works, and it just piles up and piles up, and I can't do anything about it. It's all bizarre. But we'll get to it. It's gonna be great. Anyhow, dasvidenia, tovarishi, and um, special thanks to people who hosted me during my stay in the United States. You guys are awesome, especially Sanel. Sanel Bede, you're the best dude ever. And thanks for introducing me to those Yemeni guys and your deli. That was great. And uh, yeah, next episode is probably going to be the one about Texas and all those things. For now, signing off. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. 
The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.